Hello, welcome to Louder Than Words, the podcast that's about ideas that improve lives. I'm Jules Pretty. In this episode, we're talking about public engagement, especially by universities, the wishes and desires to make the world a better place, how research and education institutions can be a force for the good. I'm delighted to welcome three guests today from across the United Kingdom. Sheena Cruikshank, Professor of Biomedical Science and Public Engagement from the University of Manchester. Paul Manners, Director of Policy from the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement at Bristol. And Laura Cream, Director of Engagement at UCL, University College London. Welcome, everybody. Um, the miracles and madness of Zoom means that we can have Manchester, Bristol, London and Colchester all in the same room and we will guide us through the, the pod um, all online. So welcome everybody. Uh, so nice to have you on the pod. So let's just start by asking about public engagement, uh, what it is and what can it bring for the public and for our own institutions as universities. Um, Laura, would you like to start from your perspective in UCL? Yeah, thank you, Jules. Um, first thing to say is I'm not an academic, so I'm what's called professional services, and my role is essentially, I see it as one of culture change. So I am trying to work with the whole UCL community and communities outside to make sure that all of the thinking, the learning, the questioning, the teaching reflects both the UCL community and people outside. And the ideas which emerge can be used by the communities who can really benefit. Um, UCL is a very um, multidisciplinary university. So the sort of areas that we, my team has to cover can go from Assyrian history to prostate cancer to um, data protection all in the same day. But the principles we apply are the same. We work with researchers to ask them, what are the questions you're interested in? Who outside the university do you think might have an interesting perspective on that? And what can you do to get them involved and make the questions even more relevant? Lovely. So there's a there's there's a create creative element, and there's also a translational element, as as you've described there, to to take things from one place within institutions and and outwards. Um, so let's let's kind of um, uh, hear your thoughts, Sheena, um, uh, from your perspectives on public engagement, what it is, and what it can bring for the public. I absolutely agree with what Laura has just said. So um, I have a a slightly different role to Laura at the University of Manchester because I'm an academic lead for public engagement. So I work alongside our professional staff to help kind of deliver and develop the public engagement agenda. And again, like Laura says, create that culture change. And I think the other really valuable angle and, and kind of part of public engagement is the way that our students can have a tremendous benefit for the communities around us. And one of the ways that we've been doing this is we've been using something called the living lab approach, where we actually have um, different communities, different organizations able to put their questions directly into this, this hub. And then the students and the academics can research the questions and provide that research straight back to them. So it's like an instant connection 
that enables us to make the most of all that amazing kind of hours and student minds and actually applies public engagement for a purpose. So I think Laura and I are very much on the same page. It's all about the purpose of the research and the purpose of the teaching that we do so that we can make a difference. Lovely. That's a perfect way of, of describing it. Uh, so, Paul, at the uh, NCCPE, you've, you have a, a kind of overview across the whole of the sector. You've been leading on, on how to understand, promote, support public engagement. Um, tell us a bit about how you see things from your perspective. I guess the, the first thing to say is that this is something that um, lots of people care about in the university section. It's great to be here with, with you all today because I know all of us sort of share a kind of common, I guess, a kind of common goal here, which is to really try to open up what universities do and to connect our work better. Uh, and that's been a passion for me ever since um, I guess I started at primary school, a kind of absolute love of learning and the power of learning to open up our curiosity, our imagination to connect to the world, to make sense of the world and to act in the world. And the proposition really for the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement was the funders of universities about 15 years ago recognised that universities just weren't opening up their work enough. It wasn't prioritised. The myth of the ivory tower had some real some real sort of resonance, I think, that we were too disconnected. So our role, I think, is to do everything in our power to support people like Laura and Sheena and others in the sector to find ways of working that really connect our work to the world. We call it at the moment public engagement. I don't particularly like that term, public engagement. It feels remarkably kind of mechanical and slightly jargony. Uh, for me, you know, the passion is about lifelong learning uh, personally, but I'm happy to to sort of um, nail my colours to the public engagement mast because it seems to be a useful way to get us all thinking about how can we be more of a national, um, I guess, education service that genuinely makes a difference in people's lives and we don't talk to ourselves too much. Lovely. Laura, you're going to come in on that. I'm just... I, I, Paul... Um, talks about the passion for lifelong learning. I think the driver for me is more that I want the ideas to be the very best that they can be. And without opening up universities and without developing these things together and discussing how they can be put to use, how they can be used by everyone, you know, the ideas of inclusion and, and equity are very strong when it comes to whatever we want whatever we think public engagement is. So for me, the passion, yes, it's lifelong learning, but for me, it's more about everyone being able to contribute to tackling the problems that we are all facing and facing so critically at the moment. And I, I think that is something I'm seeing change. I think when I look at the university leadership, they're under pressure to solve these global questions or the local um, questions on their doorstep and often there are correlations between the two and there increasingly the light bulb is going on for them as I hope it is for government and other public sector bodies that can't do this if it's only the experts in the room you've got to do it with a really broad spectrum of people and that's the part of public engagement that really drives me the most. So it strikes me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Sheena, carry on. Yeah. I absolutely agree with Laura again. I feel like this is going to be something I'll keep saying. 
But I think it's the lifelong learning is mutual. We learn so much from engaging with the public. It completely can transform the way we shape, direct, develop our research questions, develop our teaching. And to me, that's been one of the biggest delights that, that I've had personally in my career as I've done public engagement alongside my research. It's absolutely transformed the things that I do. Yeah, if... if if I could kind of come back to what Laura was saying, that you're implying a, a, a kind of moral and ethical content. Um, so it's it's not it's not um, to to paraphrase uh, public engagement just to do it or lifelong learning just to do it. It is with a purpose, and that purpose is is progressive in as much as you want to want to intervene in ways to make things better. I mean that is after all what education is about is to kind of improve individual capabilities to go forth into the world research is also about that but we're pushing it into a kind of very particular space um is that what you were kind of meaning laura yeah i think you know both sheena and i have spoken about culture change culture change implies you're trying to get from somewhere to somewhere else and that there is a values base to that and so there is a strong Ethical and moral seem very heavily laden words, but there's certainly a values base to this work. Um, but I think we're seeing it reflected in everyone we work with. So increasingly, people who are doing um, later degrees, their PhDs, we're finding usually younger people, they really want to know that the research they're going to commit to four or five years of their life is going to make a difference. And it's not just going to end up in a dissertation, which not that many people will read. We're seeing it from students, um, international students flocking to London, but they want to feel part of London and they want to contribute to it and they want to contribute to their communities back at home. And, and similarly, as Sheena was saying, when communities work with the university, they realise what a university is and that it's relevant and that they can contribute. So it is values-based for me. Perfect. That's great. Paul? Yeah, I th we often um, talk about three different motivations for public engagement. I think definitely, and this is sort of dressed up in slightly fancy language, but a kind of normative view, which is it's the right thing to do. It's like a moral imperative. There's just no question you should do it. You must do it. It's the right thing to do. But I think there are other reasons for doing public engagement. And another, again, technical term, substantive reasons. But in effect, what that's saying is actually you can do better research and teaching if you engage people in that process. So it actually is, as both Laura and Sheena were saying, it actually brings different kinds of expertise and sense-making and experience into the room so that the, the, the thinking and the evidence capture that you do better reflects the reality of the world around the university sector. And I think also, frankly, there are really strong instrumental reasons for doing it as well, which is, you know, there is a lot of... Um, kind of pressure on the university sector to demonstrate that it creates value for society. There's hope that investment in universities is going to go up significantly. But when you ask the public about where they think public money could, should be spent, spending on research and innovation, for instance, is not top of their list of priorities. So actually being able to genuinely demonstrate the value of that investment is really important too. Absolutely. Um, Sheena, you were going to come in on that and then back to Laura again. 
Well, one of the, the one of the ways that um, we've thought about our public engagement, and it's been a really useful way to sort of demonstrate the ways that we make a difference, is by thinking about the sustainable development goals, and actually trying increasingly to link all that we do to the sustainable development goals, whether it be teaching, whether it be research, whether it be public engagement that's going through those. And I think that's a really useful way to constantly keep checking yourself. How am I making a difference with this activity? And I don't think it's any coincidence that our social responsibility awards are called Make a Difference <laughs> Awards, because it's all about how we articulate the many ways that that university sector and the work that we do can make a difference. But equally, there are awards for our communities that participate in that. And again, it's the difference, the make a difference that they're doing as well. Good. Um, Laura, come, come, on, come in on that as well. I was going to talk at a very fundamental level, actually, about a lot of people don't know anyone who's gone to university and they've never engaged with one. So understandably, their main understanding of a university will be that it teaches students. So given that every university is also active in research and that they're hoping that some of those students are going to go on and be researchers, public engagement is a really critical part in developing that understanding of what a university is and why it matters. So we did a big um, programme led by uh, Dr Gemma Moore called the Evaluation Exchange, where we got a range of researchers from all sorts of disciplines to get together with a, a local um, voluntary sector organisation and tackle a challenge together, looking at evaluation. One of the really unexpected findings from that, and I find they're always the best findings, is those organisations said, oh, I had no idea this is what employing someone with a PhD might offer us. I just really didn't know that that's what being a researcher, the skill set that you come with. And for me, that was just so telling that people really don't appreciate what university um, research can offer in yeah. very practical ways. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a, a kind of come back to what Paul was saying, that that instrumental reason of making clear that um, there's stuff that's going on that's important and interesting but can make a difference and finding a way to tell that story um, is is in universities interests as well as public interests I mean it, it is something that that um, we as universities where we sit we should be doing as much as we can to uh, play that out to make a difference but it does strike me we've talk, been talking about kind of the good things that that this all means but it is also hard, isn't it? Public engagement is hard because um, uh, of, of prior cultures within institutions. So I'm, I'm talking generally here. I'm not going to kind of comment on one, although there is one example that I think is quite kind of instructive from elsewhere. It's, it's easier to tell people what is right and wrong and what they should do. It's harder to listen and engage and it's harder still to then change as a result of that. So this kind of circle of doing stuff, learning from it and then changing the internal culture as well, um, which I'd like to come back to. Um, uh, can, can we just 
Can we just dwell on that kind of cultural change as to, in a sense, why PE is hard or has been hard in the past? Um, and I'd just give that one example that I think that I know all of you will know about. Um, uh, the, the example of, of NASA um, in the United States launching their open science program, wildly successful. Um, tens of thousands of ideas from people across the world, innovations, improvements, um, problems being solved in a tenth of the time than previously, but half the staff rebelled against it. They got really, really cross about the idea of involving people who were not experts in their own work. And yet that, that, that expertise of the of the community of the public across the world who wanted to engage with NASA um, uh, made their work easier. So there's every reason to say it was wonderful, but a lot of individuals th saw it as a threat to their own status. So you, we can see there's a gap between what seems really the obvious thing to be doing, and yet it's a threat to half the people within the institution. So it's not always easy is it so could we just reflect a bit on that bit but also the culture change bit because if it is hard how do you make those changes and i know you've thought about this laura but paul if you're looking across the sector what 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 are you thinking about that particular question i suppose i what i find quite helpful is the fact that prior to working in the national coordinating center for public engagement i had a career in the bbc and worked there for about 18 years and in parallel with my work at the National Coordinating Centre, I've also worked as an advisor to the National Trust uh, over the last 14 or 15 years. And with the BBC and the National Trust, in both cases, what was blindingly obvious a long, long time ago was that their traditional ways of working, of curating knowledge and sharing knowledge, were simply not um, in tune with a very rapidly shifting context. Uh, so audience expectations uh, were really changing. Views of elite knowledge were becoming really challenged. I think there were new technologies, new modes of engagement emerging all of the time. New competitors in the broadcasting market, new channels. And both the National Trust and the BBC faced almost existential crises, actually, that if they didn't change rapidly, they were going to become increasingly irrelevant. And also their, their kind of public duty uh, was going to be eroded because they would be simply appealing to a smaller and smaller constituency. And so radical and very painful change had to be undertaken in both those organizations, creating real disturbance, I think, for many people whose professional identities were perhaps, you know, bound up in, in the scholarship of curation, who suddenly found that their elite status within the organization was being challenged by people who brought different kinds of professional expertise around, for instance, audience development, who were real champions for innovation and change. And so power gets invested in ways of doing things within organizations, and change challenges those internal kind of power structures and also leaves people feeling incredibly vulnerable, actually. And I think what's happening in the higher education sector to me is it sort of has happened a bit later than it's happened in other sectors, but it's the same kind of process of kind of having to reimagine and reinvent how we work in order to continue to do what we really passionately care about, but in an environment where our old ways of working are no longer sustainable. So it's a 
for me, it's a really, it is an existential crisis. This is not tweaking. Uh, this is about a profound need to reimagine what we are as universities and how we work. Because if we don't, I think we genuinely are, are facing um, an enormously challenging future. Very interesting. Very wise indeed. So how is that playing out um, in in Manchester and UCL? Um, Laura's smiling down the line because I know that you've produced a new uh, strategy um, around public engagement and you call your your group on public engagement a co-production collective, which I think is a fantastic term. Is it the only only one in the sector? It might be, but it's a, it's a great term because you're suggesting we're going to do stuff together. Um, internally and externally um, and and we are going to challenge some of these deep-seated cultural issues that Paul has just alluded to so um, uh, do you want to say something about that and then we'll come to Sheena to say something about how you've been doing the same thing in Manchester okay I guess so I think the question you're asking is is it hard and if it is hard how do we keep how do we create culture change? So, yes, it's hard, but everything important is hard. I think it's hard for a number of reasons because um, people who work in universities have a huge amount of pressures and workload coming at them from different directions. I think if we look at the drivers for change and accountability, universities still have to answer in monetary terms largely. So the you know, innovation strategy, industrial strategy still tends to be the one that you are most worried about reporting on. But I think we are seeing things change. And I think it's a mix of approaches. So for us, it's pegging away and building a community of um, people who've tried public engagement, who have then changed their attitude towards it and their own research, and they become um, evangelists, if you like. They join the movement, going back to the ethical, moral piece. So, and you know, we've been doing that for 10 years and we are seeing the benefits because others are making the case for us. The other bit, and you referred to something which my team has been pressing ahead with, is trying new approaches and being bolder and not being put off because it's hard. So co-production collective is something that we've set up at UCL because we tried and tried and tried to change the culture in certain sectors of the university and not much had changed. So we thought instead, let's actually build something across researchers, clinicians, external communities, patients, carers, and ask them how to create change. And that's what we're doing. So it's a movement about how do we work equitably for equal benefit? Um, but having said that, my current challenge is how do I build that into our permanent offer? How do I say this is what keeps us fresh as a university and relevant? And that is challenging to people who are used to public engagement being about something entirely different or thinking of citizen science, for example, as a fixed thing. I guess our team is always doing two things, keeping pegging away and pushing at the boundaries so that we go further and we let in more and more diverse voices to help make the case for us. Very interesting. So we're back to that kind of this is more creative kind of op proposition that, that we've mentioned a couple of times. Sheena, you wrote, um, uh, we suppressed our imagination by not engaging enough. Um, could you just could you talk a bit about, um, for example, your Britain breathing allergies 
um, work or that that's involved citizen science or or any other kind of examples of of how to illustrate that sort of creative component by by making the platform for the public engagement um, uh, the, the the first step of this kind of culture change and then what happens as a result of that so I can certainly talk about it from my perspective and I can also talk um, sort of from the university perspective about that kind of hardness question um, so we start with the hardness question first because that kind of flows on from what Laura was saying so we We've also gone through um, writing our strategies and we're in the process of writing the refreshment of our public engagement framework. Um, and that comes in the backdrop of us just having gone through a real change in the university as we looked at our social responsibility agenda and the whole of the university culture. And this went out to um, kind of a public opinion within the university sector and people who are affiliated with the university to help shape the new strategy, our future strategy. And one of the strongest things that came through in that was how much people valued that social responsibility work that we do, all the different ways that we use our research and teaching to actually make a difference. So that came through loud and clear that we had to keep that in as a really strong thread running all through that we do. And I think the, the other thing that's really emerged is really thinking about how we direct our public engagement. So one of the things that we've been doing is trying to think about how we work more strategically in the city and the region to kind of embed valuable engagement practice. But it is always challenging. And I think one of the things around that kind of university culture is, although it's really valued by our staff and students, that's what our futures told us, it's also about getting them, getting the evangelists, as Laura says, <laughs> that understand how it works and can see that sweet spot where this is actually part of the, their DNA, it's part of what they do, it's part of the research, it's part of their teaching, because otherwise it's too easy for it to become the extra. And if anything becomes the extra, it is in danger. And that is why it's so valuable for us to have things embedded. It's not because we don't think that they're important. It's because we think they're so important that they have to be just there all the time. And I think sometimes that that kind of finesse gets lost. Um, so that was sort of one question. <laughs> yes, and and that and that, uh, as you say, if it becomes, uh, oh, we'll do the work and then think about the impact, or we'll do the work and then think about trying to um, express how um, uh, it does good things or improves lives in some sort of way, then then it's easy to lose that. You know, it's something that, as you say, if it feels like it's an add-on, it's an easy take off as well. Um, Paul? Yeah, and I suppose that's where looking at examples from other sectors, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, in our audience today, there are people who've gone through sort of similar processes and change changes in, in other sectors who can help us with this. But for me, again, looking at actually the profound change that needed to happen in how broadcasting organised itself and how a, a cultural organisation like the National Trust had to profoundly re-engineer and reorganise and rethink its work. I think the problem is, is, is perhaps in the university sector, 
I don't know, I sometimes think, is it because it's full of kind of people who love using their brains? They're very good at kind of accommodating complexity. So they layer on one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. And anybody who spends any time looking at higher education policy will be staggered by the, the vastness and complexity of all of the different instruments that are being used. And within universities, at the bizarre arcane processes that still survive and through which we try to do our work. And when I compare that with what's happened in other sectors, they've radically re-engineered their internal ways of organizing themselves, setting up teams to deliver high quality work, the kinds of professional expertise that are needed and valued, the kinds of creative processes that they use to get excellent programs or experiences delivered on the ground. And I think in the university sector, we're really slow to embrace uh, a kind of more radical approach to to what we do uh, and um, I think that that creates just additional layers of burden and overwhelming sense of being exhausted in the sector and if you talk to researchers about doing public engagement they get the notion that this really matters they they love to do more but they are exhausted by the box ticking and the requirements that they have to deliver in order to survive within those universities. So I think there is a profound kind of structural problem with how we work and just trying to layer on additional kind of demands and and sort of calls to action on people potentially is just compounding the, the kind of internal struggle I think that universities are having at the moment to be exciting and supportive and creative places to work and i think we need to worry about that to be honest so let me let, let me lead us back out of the out of the doom and gloom and the, how hard it is i mean i wanted to say something about that because because it can sound good but it can also sound like a threat um it can sound good but people have got 100 percent workloads already as 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 you've said paul and as you've said sheena um and yet there are kind of models out there that have have been positive disruptors patients like me 900,000 members uh, reporting to each other online around rare diseases um, completely emerges from out with the health sector and comes up with lots of brilliant ideas on how to intervene medically and public health wise as it were to make people's lives better but it didn't come out of the health sector um, donors choose in the United States about about public schools, schools owned in public rather than the way that public is public schools are seen in the UK, um, transforming the way that people are able to give positive suggestions to schools, mad studies in the UK, taking, taking kind of um, uh, mental health right, uh, you know, on the chin and saying, well, look, this is a way that we can rethink um, uh, what you lot over there are, uh, are kind of are considering to be the most important thing so i think there are loads of good examples but all the ones i've given you there are from outside the sector as opposed to emerging from inside so could we just kind of come a bit laura's um uh, pointing and saying yes yes we can um can we just come to a, a, a couple of examples that you would point towards where things are uh, in the context of public engagement really working? There might be kind of smallish projects or particular activities. What has been transformative that we can point towards um, uh, that, that have emerged from your own institutions or indeed ones that you know that have 
led to improvements in lives? Laura, that might not have been the question you were specifically going to answer, but I'm trying to lead you into what's the good stuff? Yeah, I would like to um, put in two strong notes of optimism. One linked to the earlier conversation about drivers for change. I actually think, despite there being a level of exhaustion, the fact that we're seeing change from funders around what they want to see and what they expect, for me, is really a note of optimism. So we're seeing, you know, the, the major UKRI talking about wanting to see changes in the research and innovation system in a way that everybody can participate. So that really helps us because it means that's how universities get money. So for us, that's a big lever. And then your, your second point of let's have some real life examples. Um, I'm going later today to a, a celebration of the Extreme Citizen Science Group. So this has been led by UCL Anthropology, working with um, people who have a, a data expertise, geographic expertise, environmental expertise. They're taking the concept of citizen science, but they're thinking, well, how does this work if you're a, a non-literate indigenous community in the Congo, in, in Zambia, in the Maasai area. So they've actually built an app which equips people to um, think about the issues that are changing in their environment, to log data, and it's actually being used to create real change. So for example, it's been used in Cambodia, it's been used to um, bring cases against illegal logging, uh, uh, big areas of um, a community defined reserve have been created. So this is what I mean about traditional forms of public engagement. You can push at the boundaries to really create change in people's lives in a, in a really meaningful way. There are lots of other examples, but I, I think you wanted a big global scale one. So there you go. I did. And that's absolutely great. Um, uh, Sheena, do you want to give us an example from from your experience or from your knowledge? I think, I think again, there's lots of examples. Um, so one of the, the, the sort of groups that I'm, I really admire are the, the, the researchers who are looking at healthy ageing. And we've got a healthy ageing centre in Manchester, but they've been working in so many different creative ways with different communities. And they've really transformed the way the city is thinking about healthy ageing, really kind of bringing in the, the knowledge from the communities to better support healthy ageing in different parts of of Manchester, you know, just basic things, thinking about, well, we need more benches so older people can have a sit. You know, we, I'm looking again at kind of width of pavement. So it's thinking about how we design the city. And the, the, the museum, the Manchester Museum, has also become a healthy ageing hub and is working again to think about how the museum can be a more inclusive space. And I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening in, in the kind of museum sector as well at looking at how they can be kind of these these kind of sort of hubs to bring together communities to bring together research to bring together ideas to to show them in new ways so there's been lots of really exciting things happening in Manchester Museum and on a kind of global scale I can think of loads of global projects that you know you take the learning here in the UK that perhaps you've been testing in small pilot schemes and then you take it out to communities where it could be relevant they adapt it to their needs and they transform different things so you know we've we've seen things around mapping 
for looking at mind detection based on basic mapping skills. So that's transformed different areas. You know, we did a very simple project around how you talk about education and infection. And that saw uh, communities in Madagascar who had very little knowledge about a particular infection. It saw that infection being diagnosed, that infection getting treatment from the government in Madagascar, and differences in behaviour that would lead to taking up medication to treat the infection, but also avoid catching the infection in, in the first place, you know, and, and that's demonstrable, you know, we can see a statistically significant change in behaviour. So all this comes from different creative ways of working with communities and lots and lots of different styles of public engagement. Thank you. That's great. Good. Well, let's let's draw things to to a close with a couple of your kind of observations then about about kind of two or three policy priorities, practice priorities. Um, let's avoid the uh, we just need more money kind of thing because everybody does, um, and there's not any to go around anyway. Um, but but kind of are you optimistic that we collectively have the capability to continue to expand and be effective uh, using the kinds of methods and tools and approaches that that you've all been talking about are you optimistic and what what do you think you would put at the top of your your kind of calls to action your policy priorities in this area um laura do you want to go first um, <laughs> no, Paul? not particularly. That's a, that's a tricky question. Um, um, well, think about it for a moment. I'll go with Paul because of the. You can look across the sector, and then I'll come come round to Sheena and back to to Laura. Yeah, Paul. I guess. Yeah. I mean, gosh, three quick thoughts. I mean, the first is I think we are still very, very inward facing as a sector, and the ways that we bring in experience, expertise and challenge from outside is still very, very um, underdeveloped. So the more we can open up decision making about priorities in the sector, the better. Uh, and at every level, I think, from how individual researchers think about who has a stake in their research, how individual teams, departments, faculties, universities, funders, are much more open and transparent and interested in shaping their work with input from outside. I think that's really important. And I think the second point just builds on that, which is to say, avoiding too many generalities, talking about universities. Universities are such phenomenally complicated places, full of different communities who care about knowledge, but who are quite sort of, I guess, they don't work collectively particularly well. They're too big. And if you ask people, they'll say, I work at the university, not for the university. Um, <clears throat> so actually really focusing on how to support individuals and teams to develop their public engagement work is really important. And finally, Laura's already said how important it is that funders support this work. And I think currently there are lots of incentives in the system, but they're not really particularly well aligned. And the messaging from the funders is still a little bit um, opaque and doesn't cut through. So being much more resolute about the priority for how this needs to be built into how people approach their work would be really helpful. Super, thank you. Sheena? The priorities for us, well, I think, I think this one around the funders is really good news for us, but I agree with Paul that there's still some uncertainty around 
what that money can be used for and what that actually means. And that's part of still that shifting culture change. Whilst there has been this amazing kind of movement within a lot of universities, as Paul says, universities are enormous. And so what you can have is you can have pockets of, of the advocates, the kind of zealots who really understand, they get it about public engagement, but you can still have the pockets of people who don't, who might still be adhering to these old fashioned ideas of, well, you know, what we've always done is we've engaged with businesses and we've always engaged with, with you know, kind of that kind of thing rather than we've engaged with businesses to look at a particular community solution. So we need the community voice. They might not be thinking that way. So there's still that kind of culture change work to just keep chipping away at perhaps some of those pockets of resistance and to keep kind of reminding people about public engagement as a kind of force for making change and, and, and you know, the value of doing that. So I think that's something that, that we really care about. And just thinking about, well, are, are our policies in universities actually working as well as they could to enable us to do meaningful public engagement? So kind of circling back and just checking that all the policies and things in place actually have the understanding underneath them to make them work effectively, whether that be about getting the funding out, whether that be about rewarding staff or giving staff the kind of time or training that they need. Lovely, that's great. So final word, Laura, um, cap, cap, cap that all. Um, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I can't cap these two because they're amazing. Um, two <laughs> things that perhaps haven't been spoken about. One is, I mean, if, you know, if I could have, the one thing I really, really need, and I often talk to Paul about this, is I, I need enlightened leadership at every um, level of the ecosystem of universities, research, teaching, impact. Um, you know, I'm lucky. I've got a lot of that at UCL. And I suppose what keeps me optimistic is all the people we've worked with over a decade, I want to see them become the next generation of leaders in that ecosystem. So for me, that's that's what I want to see. I suppose as well, we haven't thought about, you know, people who appoint the leaders. So councils of universities, I'm not sure to what extent they're on board with this or how often it's brought to their table. And I think that would be really interesting. Perhaps you could get some of them on this program and we could hear from their perspective because I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's often up there. Um, and the other thing is going to Sheena's point about systems, you know, simple changes. So one thing that's on my agenda, chipping, chipping away is publishing a guide just so everyone can figure out how on earth to make university systems work when they're doing this work. How do you pay people? How do you get people on the system? You know, if you're on benefits or if you're um, an asylum seeker or a recent migrant to this um, country, how can you engage? How do the system support you to do that? So one very aspirational and one very practical, but that's public engagement for you. Brilliant. Perfectly put. Fantastic. So thanks very much indeed. So my thanks to Sheena Cruikshank from University of Manchester, Paul Manners from the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement, and Laura Cream, Director of Engagement at UCL in London. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you. Thanks a lot. 
pop over to the Centre for Public and Policy Engagement website at the University of Essex for a paper on public engagement, How PE Improves Lives, Principles, Typology and Evidence. There's a PDF at the bottom of the page there that will tell you a bit more um, in terms of the show notes for this particular show about public engagement. That was Louder Than Words. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Have a look at the website for more information and do rate the pod if you can.